Hello, podcast listeners. You're listening to another joyful, cheerful, not the morning on my way to work podcast. It actually is. Uh, of, uh, of the long journey home. I am your host, Corbin Johnson. And I wanted to say that uh, I appreciate you listening to the show. Whoever you are, thank you so much. Let's get started. Last night, we had a surprise dropped on all of us. Unnatural Selection. It's an interesting name for a set, right? Unnatural Selection. It, it certainly highlights the genetic, in the genetically enhanced portion of the uh, set. Unnatural Selection as opposed to Natural Selection. We always hear that word selection a lot in all of our games. 1E, 2E triples, random selection. This uh, this wasn't really about random selections, though. This was about unnatural selections. So, and and that ties into I think the theme of the of the um, of the set, which is choice and choosing, according to Charlie's article. And you can definitely see that in a lot of the cards. Players are going to have a lot of choices to make. Uh, almost every, not every, almost every card, but a lot of cards have the word choose on them. So, unnatural selection. It's an interesting name for a set. I think that was, that must have been the name of an episode. Had to have been, right? Maybe it's the only name that actually made sense given um, kind of what they were going for, you know. We have to, we must use, oh yeah, Charlie said it was an episode's name. Unnatural Selection. I don't even know what what show that's from. Now I want to look it up, but I'm driving, so I can't. Unnatural Selection. That must be, it must be Deep Space Nine. Go with the genetic stuff. Oh, whatever, I don't know. Might be Enterprise. Okay, anyway, so. Right, there was Dilemmas 16, I believe. 16 dilemmas. That's five rows of dilemmas. Uh, five plus one row of dilemmas. So, hmm. anyway, uh, I think the first, uh, the, uh, the dilemma that is, uh, stops your seven, your dudes have, uh, attribute greater than seven. Holy moly, what a big change for the game. Um, I've always been, you know, uh, I think I caught on early on to Tui that Tui was a game that wasn't about having a lot of skills. I mean, skills are part of it, but it was all about attributes, right? So the Enterprise J caught my attention early on because it basically gave you an extra dude or two dudes worth, uh, not two dudes, but at least a dude worth of attributes at a 40-point mission. And it seemed like that was just a little bit better than going to a 35-point mission, almost, uh, with some drawbacks. But, um, yeah, attributes are huge in TUI. So many cards, so many times you lose a mission attempt, not because you're missing a skill, but because you're one short on an attribute, or you just... You needed one more guy, or I stopped just one guy, and that was all you needed. Every mission has attribute needs. So, to 
make a dilemma that says, hey, you're kind of, you know, you, you shouldn't be bringing guys that have more than sevens. Like, really? Because even when the, you paid six for a guy, right? You paid six for Lore, you paid five for Data, you paid six for Bashir, probably three. You know, you're in trouble because he's got an attribute greater than seven. I'm like, wow. That, that is a big shift from what we had before. And it's been, tr- I, you know, I'm, I'm, when I think about that dilemma, I think about the base, the one, the species dilemma that said if you have, you know, too many of a certain species there, you're all stopped or whatever. And that, that was a good, you know, it was a good dilemma, but it, it hasn't seen a lot of play recently. I think it was kind of a novelty. And I'm wondering if this dilemma will be the same way. Is it going to shift the game so that people no longer play with data and lore and stuff like that? I seriously doubt it. I think people are still going to keep bringing them because they're that good. Uh, and data is, you know, not to not to bring up relativity again, but I was going to bring it up anyway. Data is a key factor. Data and I'd say uh, the revised doctor are two key players in that deck because they have high cunning. Cunning greater than seven. And so, am I going to take those two cards out of the deck? Well, certainly not the Doctor, but Data I keep in there because he's got fantastic skills for the mission selection that is in there, but also because of his eye attributes. And it makes it possible to do five mission, five people attempts at the mission. That's why I typically don't play with TCS. So, yeah, it's a big change. And I think there's another dilemma that kind of screws with people who do this, so is that the future of the game? We're gonna, you know, it's kind of ironic that that when they made this dilemma, it came out on a set that had a bunch of guys that have an attribute with greater than seven on it. Uh, all the genetically enhanced guys. It's an interesting dichotomy. Star, uh, Star Trek 2nd Edition is always about this kind of rock, paper, scissors thing. You know, I brought this, did you bring this? Yes, no. Yes or no, right? If you did, well, my day's gonna suck against you. But my next opponent probably didn't, so I'll do well against him. So, it's always this kind of push and pull. You can bring the broken deck that has that one little nerfer, and if no one brought the nerfer, you're gonna do great. But someone, Oh, someone always brings that little nerfer, right? And then you go, oh, you curse their name. So that's that's kind of annoying. I mean, uh, in two E though, if it's just you know it's a card like Insurrection, people tend to stock one, and you tend to be running more than one mission that has an attribute less than thirty-two. And so it's kind of like, well, I get to punish you at one mission at least. So, what's going to happen with this is, you know, does every every deck have someone with uh, attribute 8 or greater? Uh, probably not. I, you know, I, I don't see that as rampant issue. Is it more prevalent than not? Maybe. I mean, if you're playing Bajorans, you've certainly got a lot of 8s. If you're playing Klingons, you've certainly got a lot of strength 8 guys. But is it enough? 
I mean, the Borg don't... They, the Borg, they do get pumped up with the cunning drone, right? And the strength drone. So, unless you've got three of them there, though, I think most of them have a cunning of five, so you need three cunning drones, and I don't think anyone really is going to be doing that. So, the Borg don't get hit by this. I think it's, um... I think this is another kind of instance of a big hammer that hits some unintended targets. I don't think Bajoran was an intended target of this, but uh, unfortunately, you know, there are a lot of people with integrity greater than seven. And then, uh, Cardassians don't have to worry. They're, they're all dumb and weak and have no integrity. Romulans don't have to worry. I don't think a lot of them are cunning eight. You know, there's a Romulan data, but... Um, yeah, it hits Klingons for sure. It hits a lot of the builds I like to make, which is all high-attribute dudes, uh, which kind of sucks. Um, I guess it's kind of a FU to the Energize kind of paradigm, where you try to get a bunch of high-cost guys into play quickly, and those high-cost guys tend to have an attribute greater than 7. So, it it's... Is this trying to say, if you're playing with those guys, use them sparingly, pay full cost for them? I don't think there's a lot of four-cost guys. Well, there, there's enough four-cost guys that have an attribute greater than uh, seven. So, mm, I guess we're just going to have to see how it plays out. I, I predict I will put at least one copy of that dilemma in my deck. Maybe two. I, I don't know. Maybe not two. We'll see. So... I, I am going to focus... I'm going to change the focus to Relativity, though. Relativity, having been out for one set, has received a mission. And I don't know if the mission was specifically targeted at them or if they were just, again, kind of the unintended target of this hammer. But a mission that is a four-span Delta mission that's it's very hard to solve, apparently, by, uh, by anyone because of the diplomacy requirement. Um, that says... Apparently I'm tired. Um, that says that you can't play the same event or interrupt more than once per turn. Like, the first thing I thought was relatively, I said, oh, Temple Transporters, you're nerfed. You know, you can't play that extra delivery boy, you gotta hold it in your hand, or whatever. So, that, I think, was the most controversial card so far in the set and has definitely, you know, on the boards, there's already, it's, uh, you know, it's 8 a.m. right now, uh, Chicago time, and already we're seeing people up in arms about that card going, oh my god, oh, relativity, oh, major hit, oh my god. And then people are like, no, no, don't worry about it. It's, you know, it's there for more than just relativity. It's for Cardassians at their central command, which, um, since when is Cardassia a problem? And it's going to hit knowledge and experience. Uh, I haven't seen an assimilator in a while. But it is going to hit... Um, well, I... Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of any kind of deck that plays an event more than once per turn. I just don't see that as a problem. Or even an interrupt. I mean, if you can pull off, like, two bridge commander tests... You know, you're doing something right, obviously. You know, in one turn. And that doesn't need to be curbed. 
I, uh, what, these are the voyages maybe? It's good, but I'll just hold on to it for another turn. It's not a big deal. I, I don't, I don't see the, the other thing, right, that is, it's getting nerfed by this mission, and I, it's good. It's like, it's not good. I don't, I don't see this mission getting a lot of play, honestly. The force fan turns me off. The, the hard mission requirements kind of turns me off. It's, it's kind of a meta thing, I think, if, if anything. You go, oh, relativity's insanely popular. Well, here, I'm gonna pair this with Greasy Ducat, and next time, you know, if you try to hide a Temporal Transporters in your discard pile to try to get back with Baxter, yeah, um, Greasy Ducat will nerf that, and then, oh, you got Temporal Transporters in your hand? Nope, no, not anymore, or you're, you're not gonna hit this. Uh, or you're only gonna play one copy. I'm I'm mixing this up with another card actually. I'm mixing this up with the dilemma with challenging revision. Challenging revision is a really great card, and it it yeah. I'm I'm gonna shift the focus over to challenging revision. It's it's kind of like well now it, it's it's that theme of choices. Challenging revision is swashbuckler at heart, but with a broader implication. And it, you kind of give up the two draws, which, which is nice in a pinch, for the choice of picking a card type. And that is pretty sweet. It's, it also, you know, it affects you too. So if you're playing Relativity, you're not gonna name an event, obviously. But if you're, you know, you don't care about what cards are in your hand, you're gonna name, you could name Personnel and be like, oh my God, it's, it's a mulligan. It's a, it's a mid-game mulligan, basically which is really cool. Um, yeah, it's, it reminds me a little bit of Thought Fire, the, uh, whatever the Thought Fire dilemma is, um, that you stop people and then whoever is not stopped, you have to discard a card from hand for. Some more hand manipulation. Dream in the Dream, obviously, is a parallel. And, it's uh, it's it's a neat tool. It's a very interesting tool that will definitely see some play in in my deck for sure. Swashbucklers, I used to I used to use three of them actually because I was that worried about Borg, and now I don't know if I'm gonna keep with the kind of three of Swashbuckler or you know maybe one and one of these, one of these, one of Swashbuckler. Keep the Swashbuckler around because of the draws. I don't know, you know, I think Swashbuckler may have seen its day. Because this card rocks. It's pretty cool. And I, uh, I, I like the story behind the, the card too. So, that that's a card that is insanely interesting, at least, for this set. Um, yeah, there were a lot of very interesting dilemmas. The bluff dilemma, I don't think I, you know, I'm trying to figure out when you choose a card, do you have to indicate that the cards are chosen? I mean, is it kind of like, I guess, a number, and then uh, you, you kind of don't have any... Do you, like, write it down on a piece of paper? You know, I chose these many people to be stopped. Or, you know, I'm trying to figure that out. Because um, I don't... I, I guess someone's going to have to explain that card to me. I'm trying to figure out the utility of it. I, um, yeah... I'm just not sure. I think there's a few dilemmas in there that aren't going to see a lot of play. They just, they're, 
I, I do like the, the space-only hard time, if you will, that costs three, and you, you randomly select a guy, I think, to be, you know, either go back to your headquarters or score five points or something like that. Sounds interesting. It's an interesting kind of choice. Um, so, yeah, the dilemmas, you know, some of them are really interesting. Some of them, I think, are just, you know, just dilemmas that may or may not see a lot of play. The events, I like that there was some events that weren't necessarily a part of the theme of this of the set. You know, well, they're they're part of the choice theme, but they're not necessarily genetic stuff. There's a new Q1, cost two. You get to look at the top card of your discard your dilemma deck and say, oh yeah, I do want to draw this or I don't. Um, that's kind of cool. You know, just a little extra something. Not sure if I'm gonna play with that. Um, Maybe it makes sense in a Q sort of theme deck thing. I think uh, I think the card that shines out to me is the uh, the new draw engine. You know, lineage is an interesting draw engine, but it, it doesn't net you any cards if you do the math, and that's not interesting to me. This card does. This card nets you a draw. It nets you a counter if you play it right. You must do it with exactly four with five cards in hand, and you play it. So you assume you paid one to draw the the draw to draw the draw engine card. I keep I forget the name of it. You know, like something repairs or something. And then you have four cards in hand. You reveal it. Your opponent chooses two of them to discard. And if you say, yeah, okay, those ones are okay to discard, then you draw five more. So let's do the math here. Cost one to draw the card. Cost one to play. Cost two to draw the two cards that will be discarded. So that's four cost for the for the event. You play it and you draw five, that's a net of one. Hey, all right. But you have to do it in this specific situation. So I foresee me playing with three, these are the voyages, and three of this because it nets you a draw. But I'm not sure, right? Because it, it's, it's another resource, you know. Strictly speaking, you do net one, but at the same time, it does cost you, you know, those two cards. Those two cards may be like, two awesome cards, so maybe this isn't, you know, maybe the thing to do here isn't to necessarily, isn't to, you know, a big pile up over here, yeesh, alright, we're paying attention to driving here, you know, so, you know, do I really want to play with three of them, am I going to be in the situation where I have exactly four cards in hand, happen to have a counter to play this, don't mind if the two best cards in my hand go away, and I draw five, Reminds me a lot of Handshake, actually. Me and Oney, though, you don't care if, you know, I play Handshakes all the time with five cards in hand or six cards in hand just because these, I need to keep the, I need to keep the game going. I need to keep drawing. So I foresee this being, you know, critical in decks that revolve around the discard pile. You know, this card may see extra play when the next set comes out where we know that there's going to be a lot of discard deck interaction and uh, that sort of thing with the Bajorans and the Cardassians. And yeah, this this could be a lot of fun. And this is gonna offer some interesting choices to the opponent too. You know, you know, you could set up your hand in theory to have some very interesting cards in there and they're gonna be like, oh, which of these two should I get rid of? And I think that's exactly what the Hoskins were going for when they wrote this card, or or maybe Nick did. Um, 
yeah, whoever made up this card, it's pretty cool, and I'd like to hear more about the, uh, the origins behind it. So I'm all for cards that net draws, and at the same time, this isn't this isn't these are the voyages where you're netting two, and it's like you know a freaking gift from God, and you know this this is a hard decision, and it's an opportunity that won't necessarily present itself all the time. So I want to play with it. I want to see if I can put it into a deck that makes sense for this sort of thing. You know, obviously this doesn't make sense for relativity because temple transporters, temple transporters, bye bye. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But I'm sure this makes sense in probably a Bajoran deck or something like that. Maybe a Borg deck, because Borg don't care about, you know, certain things getting discarded. So, you know, that, that card is really cool, in my opinion. I think it's a good card, and an interesting card. And I think a lot of cards fall into that res the respect. Ah, uh, so... So, going back to Relativity, Relativity got a new way, you know, um... Relative, good relativity decks don't pair with don't pair with Voyager right now. You don't do that. There's no point. Um, I mean, the point is right to be able to play with some some like non-aligned, I guess, future guys. And I, I or just you know guys that cost three or more, and you use the plays the thing, and you get a ship for sh or you have another way to play extra. I don't know. Um, it's a way to get another ship into play that you can play guys to, I guess. Right. So, I just don't see, I don't, you know, I never saw that as a, as a good pair. So anyway, um, the first thing I thought of when the new con guys came out was the, um, the, you, you can play, is another non-headquarters you can play cards to. And that's, that's exciting. That means possible jankiness, uh, especially, um, in combination with other missions that allow you to do non-headquarter reporting to, specifically Caretaker's Array and uh, the Relativity one. So could Relativity pair with these con guys? Well, they all cost four or more, so that's, uh, that's a strong possibility with the plays of the thing. Uh, it's a little, little crazy, a little scary. Um, but, you know, there's a possibility of another way to get a ship into the game, at least into the Alpha Quadrant. Um, I mean, the problem here is that it's one less planet for their alternate wind condition, and you must try to win with that alternate wind condition. I guess you don't have to try to win with that alternate wind condition to, uh, to win, right? You can, you put a space into that deck and you could just try to do the genetic, like, two, three mission win or something. Um, but you can try to pair these genetic guys with with Voyager or with Re uh, Relativity and or even Equinox, and maybe see where that goes. So, um, or you could, you know, they could be they could add to your long journey home deck, or even right. <laughs> uh, so, an interesting combination there of possibilities. So I'm sure someone's going to explore that and tell us, no, that's not broken or it's terribly broken. It probably won't fall anywhere in the middle. Uh, I'm assuming it's probably not very good, but it is an interesting thing nonetheless. So the genetic guys, you know, Bold Man looks like he's a printable VP as of today. So awesome, right? That's a great card that I throw into my, uh, my Defiant deck. And speaking of that, you know, well, 
before I go to the genetically guys, let me briefly talk about my favorite, um, the commander deck for the Defiant. That that's a fun deck that I like to play for you know more fun decks for more like casual events. Um, and they got a new they got a new gamma mission today that looks pretty cool. You know you can force your opponent to lose five points. You know there are a lot of times where uh, I can think of if my opponent was down five points, they're going to have to do another mission. And that's just it, you know. You're, you're effed unless you go do another mission. You know, your fourth mission or your third mission or whatever. And that's exciting to me. So, I think <laughs> that, that makes me want to, you know, bring, you know, not only that and Bold Man being printable now, you know, that's a, that's a staple card of the Defiant deck. There is some interesting, you know, a little hurrah for that Defiant deck today, and maybe they'll pair well with that new one-cost event that gets the, uh, that gives you that one net draw, maybe. Probably not. But there is something to be said for that. It is definitely an exciting, interesting idea. Boy, I'm excited about this deck, this, uh, this set. There's a lot of cool cards in it. And, you know, no more teams, right? But today we got a new team, the Genetically Enhanced guys. There's a lot to be said for these guys. Four costers that can play for two. If you get con out, so you play with Historical Disruption or Historical Thingy with the Guardian of Forever, you get him out early if you can and go to town on these guys. You know, a lot of... That's what I love about Tui, is high attribute guys that you can get to play for cheap. That's, that appeals to me a lot, and I think that's a no-brainer. You know, I definitely want to play with this and see where it is. Um, I'm hoping it's, you know, not bad, and I'm not too keen on doing the four mission win thing, but I am definitely interested in probably putting these genetic guys into another deck, probably pair them with the more traditional non-aligned deck uh, that, you know, is headquartered at the mouth of the wormhole. Um, maybe bustling with activity and maybe do a little two mission win action. I think, I think there's a, probably a good deck there with these really high cost guys. Um, maybe pair them with their other genetically enhanced brethren at Earth, Earth Space Nine and just kind of see where that goes because they're also good and they're pretty cheap, you know, relatively speaking for their high cost or their high cunning and um, whatnot. And maybe try that again. My 2011, oh my God, I'm tired. <sighs> uh, and you know, I feel bad for the guys at Gen Con. Um, <laughs> they're probably pretty tired right now too. But you know, they're, you know, they're having the time of their lives right now. And you know, I'm pretty excited that this dropped during Gen Con so they have a chance to kind of talk about it amongst themselves. Uh, they even got a sneak peek at it yesterday. Uh, someone on Twitter, um, posted, Sean O'Reilly, I think it was, posted all the set um, in all its blurry goodness, and that was exciting to kind of see, oh wow, a lot of non-aligned guys, uh, what's this, this, what is this all about, what are, what's going on here, and there's definitely, yeah, so anyway, I'm getting off track here, <laughs> the genetic guys, yeah, I'm definitely going to throw them into another deck, um, oh, shoot, <sighs> Yeah, when the set dropped, I stayed up like an hour to read it. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of tired right now. 
Anyway, okay, so <laughs> what else is there to say about this? Couple new, um, the thief thing, right? Um, did thieves need love? Maybe they did. I, I remember trying to build kind of a thief deck around the fortune because the fortune gives all your thief guys or your treachery guys like a possible attribute boost of plus three for each um, artifact you command. And I thought that was a cool way to bump up some attributes. I never got it working, but maybe I can pair it with this stuff. Um, the uh, Fajo's Menagerie seat thingy. Kind of see what, what's going on here. I think there's more to this thief thing than meets the eye, at least right off the bat. You know, when, I, when stuff like this drops in a new set, I don't get that excited about it because, you know, especially the commodity thing, I didn't really get. But then I start hearing about this crazy commodity deck, and it's like, I think TK put together, is like, this is how you play commodities, and this is a good deck. It's like, okay, well, cool. When I looked at the cards, I didn't immediately see a deck, but I think that there probably is a deck here that is just waiting to shine. And I, it's gonna be an interesting kind of thing to see what we can do uh, with this thief thing. Um, yeah, they, they never really had, um, they had Pickpocket and the Orion Underworld. And that was it, right? You wanna play Thieves? Here's a couple of interesting things. Go have some fun. So it's kind of cool that they're getting some tools here. Yeah, I didn't really process what the, the whole thing is. You, you play the event, you put cards in the event, and then you try to score points or put those cards in your hand. So a little Ferengi action, like a little non-aligned Ferengi kind of thing. It's kind of what I think is going on here. Maybe this will pair well with Ferengi, since a lot of the, the new mission requires acquisition that lets you put three cards on that card. So that's kind of cool. There's probably other ways to get some acquisition in. Um, new hologram toy. So, you know, that's cool. New genetically enhanced toy. You know, maybe that'll help out the uh, fed genetically enhanced guys or the uh, enterprise guys. And I'm sure it'll help out the new, uh, new guys. Uh, hmm. Yeah, um, those are the kind of big points that stuck out to me. All I can say is this set looks really interesting to me. I'm always excited for kind of a, a so-called new affiliation. Um, Relativity did it, and this did it too with the alternate win condition thing. I mean, with being able to play to SETI Alpha 5. The new mission thing, the new mission like um, convention, I mean, so what? Um, Maybe, I, I have a strong suspicion that it was done the way it was done. I, I had this like story go through my head. You know, 2003, or 2002 Decipher Offices. You know, Brad's like, um, why don't we put like the mission place on top and we put the mission kind of thing as the subtitle. And then Evan's like, no, 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 hang on. Uh, what about, you know, we're gonna have backwards compatible stuff, that's gonna clash with the 1E stuff. Well, why don't we just put it on the conversion thing? And then they're like, uh, let's just do it the old school way, cuz. Uh, fast forward to, you know, the planning, whoever planned this set, someone's like, well, we've got Homefront 4 coming out, we're gonna convert a bunch of 2E missions, and maybe it's time that we kinda get rid of this convention that we've had, probably just because of backwards compatible missions. We're not making them anymore, you know. 
and uh, a lot of the old ones are getting converted. So maybe this is maybe that's the reason they did this. Maybe it's because there's no slave, there are no master. I slave is the wrong word. Master to one e anymore, so they could do what they wanted to in the first place. I don't know. That's just something that went through my head. I could be in La La Land right now, thinking that that's why they did it. Otherwise, I can't really think of a good reason other than it's it's kind of cleaner, it's a little more interesting, but it's just a convention. It there's I don't see a gameplay impact here. I could be wrong, but yeah, I mean I don't care. It's cool, you know. Let's do it, whatever. Um, but yeah, it, as long as art, as long as it doesn't impact future design, in terms of you know bottleneck to art. I, I think it will, unfortunately. I think art's going to be impacted with errata to mission. Well, if a mission's going to get errata, it's going to get errata anyway. It's not going to take them more than a few extra minutes to adjust the title to this new convention. At least I, I hope not. So, whatever. You know, I don't see this as an impact. It's a little cleaner, a little more interesting. Whatever. So, cool. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I guess, you know, there's a lot of mission updating, you know, and 1E is kind of going through a mission persona thing right now, too. So, you know, that's that's kind of interesting. I don't know if that really matters all that much. But, you know, it's cool. Um, so, yeah. What else is, you know, I'm almost at work. This is a long podcast. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to talk about. I, I did like the fact that every card in the set that had an affiliation was not aligned no having to kind of say oh, these affiliations need things um, we'll give them to these people uh, everything in the set was really very non-aligned based this was the set to give non-aligned more non-aligned goodies so good for that uh, I do like uh, Iris Stephen Bear coming in uh, as an image for a card that card looks pretty cool on its own you know if you play it and you download a card uh, and then if your opponent doesn't download the same card type you know it's a little kind of a game it's a side game uh, and I love side games, and I wish Tui had a little bit more of that. You know, I think of Miss Sarda, right? That's kind of a little side game there. And then, you know, so Miss Sarda, she can pay for herself eventually, usually. And then this guy will definitely pay for himself, probably. Uh, his skills kind of suck, but, you know, it's a little side game to play. So it's, it's fun. Uh, am I going to play with it? I don't know. We'll see. You know, especially, you know... Um, <laughs> If I put him in, well, I can't put him in a relativity deck, so forget that. But uh, there'll be there's a place for him somewhere, I'm sure. So yeah, uh, I hope we see more kind of Easter eggy kind of people as cards that you know are kind of funny. I think Ron Moore was in What You Leave Behind as well. We could make a card out of him and kind of do the same thing as a hologram. I think that'd be kind of fun. Um, yeah, you know, little cameo appearances. I'm sure we are... I, I don't know if we're going to put that, that prince guy, uh, the king, or the king from uh, Jordan or whatever, from Voyager on there. Um, but yeah, every once in a while, it's fun to kind of throw a little Easter egg in there. I'm sure Art had a fun time with that, or creative, or whomever. And uh, we said, yeah, let's put Iron Steven Bear on here. So that's cool. I do like the new Binar guys. Um... I saw a lot of stuff from the first season of TNG here, the first and second seasons, and I have to wonder, you know, uh, you know, you know, when you buy a new car, you know, you start to notice that car on the road a lot, and uh, 
So I've been watching a lot of the Blu-ray TNGs, and so whatever I'm like, oh, that card could have an image from the new Blu-ray. Now I'm like, well, you know, was creative the impetus behind us picking that card, uh, choosing that and saying, oh, well, we're gonna have a pretty spiffy image for it because of the new Blu-rays. You know, why don't we, you know, push creative towards this or did art go, uh, or, or who, I wanna know if someone was like, yeah, the Blu-rays are out, let's make cards that can use the Blu-ray images. So if that's the case, awesome. If that's not the case, oh well. So, you know, um, there were a lot of cards though, at least four cards from the first edition, or the first season of TNG, which notoriously has was not that interesting. But um, yeah, it was actually pretty interesting on rewatching. So anyway, I'm gonna wrap it up here. I'm going to work. This is Corbin Johnson saying so long. Thanks for all the trek.